Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. There was some bad blood. Morales went after the mayor and physically attacked him. He's going to be a bully to other people. He should have uh, enough confidence to talk to me the same way that he diminishes his female staff. That's unacceptable in the city of Cunningham. It's been passed. If you want to talk to Alderman Morales on that, that's fine. I'm kind of moving on. If a uh, $500 citation is the price that needs to be paid in order to expose some of these mistreatments that are happening in Cunningham, Bad blood boils over in a small suburban city as an alderman confronts the mayor and it gets physical. The alderman says he was defending the city's health officer after an outbreak of COVID-19 at a meat processing plant. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hi, Brian. Hey, good morning, Amanda. We are bringing you new episodes of Open Record each day, Monday through Friday, to make it easier to sort through all of this coronavirus news. We are recording this episode on Thursday morning, May 7th, 2020. As of yesterday... Cudahy Health Department now says 86 employees at the Patrick Cudahy Meat Processing Plant have tested positive for COVID-19. They are calling them final results, which we'll get to in a little bit, but Smithfield Foods has now reopened the plant after a two-week rolling closure where different departments were closed on different dates to allow for a deep cleaning. Now, you may recall we first reported the outbreak back on April 14th after employees of Patrick Cudahy spoke directly to Fox 6, some through Spanish-language interpreters, and described a rash of illnesses among their co-workers, rumors of a significant outbreak, and a lack of personal protective equipment or physical spacing along the assembly line. We later learned after a series of open records requests that the city's health officer had been tracking the outbreak from two cases back on March 25th to nine cases on April 8th, then a big jump to 28 cases on April 15th, and that is when Smithfield announced the two-week shutdown. And Brian, we've talked on this podcast before about your efforts to get the actual number of positive cases from Cudahy City Hall. It was a struggle, to say the least. And now we learn there's been some real drama going on behind the scenes over your request for that information. I would call it a soap opera. Uh, I think that would be safe to say. There's been quite a bit of drama behind the scenes. And that very same day we first broke the story about the growing outbreak at Patrick Cudahy, tensions boiled over between an alderman and the mayor that led to a criminal investigation by the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office. And eventually this week, a county issued citation for disorderly conduct against Alderman Justin Morales. And I want to go through step by step what happened. But before we do that, what happened when you first asked for the numbers? Because it seems like that's what propelled some things that eventually led to the drama. At least it led to the flashpoint that that resulted in this confrontation. So when I first got these tips, they were coming from people who were outside of Patrick Cudahy. And we've talked about that. It was a former union representative 
who had employees coming to him because they trusted him. He'd been one of them. He's now on the outside. They felt safe to go to him and say, look, we're hearing of more and more people who are going home sick or people who were testing positive were saying, I tested positive and now I'm home. I'm worried about my coworkers who are still there. The company doesn't seem to be doing anything. At one time, we were actually told they were removing hand sanitizer from the factory floor because employees were using too much of it. Um, they were limiting the number of paper towels that could be used in the bathroom to wash hands because of the amount of you know supplies, I guess, that were being used. Um, there was even one employee who said he was told not to sanitize his helmet. Um, so those are things that seem contrary to what we're hearing about. And so when we wanted to know how many cases actually are there. So I first contacted the city's health officer on April 13th to ask that question. Do you, are you guys tracking this? Do you even know how many cases are connected to this one plant? And I didn't hear back from the health officer. I got a call back, uh, from, well, and I also reached out to the mayor. I didn't get a call back from the mayor. I got a call back, as we've talked about here, from a public relations person, Annie Schwartz, who used to do PR for the Milwaukee Police Department and uh, now does uh, some communications work on the side, including crisis communications. And that raised a bit of a red flag for me. It's not often that you get a call from a crisis communications person when you reach out to the mayor of a small community asking for some what should be basic information. Um over time, I started communicating with various people at Cudahy City Hall, and we did get uh, – where we were told we needed to file an open records request if we were going to get this. Um, and they'd let their city attorney determine if they could release that information. Um, I, in fact, I spoke to the mayor eventually in person and or on the phone directly, not through the PR person. And he told me at first they weren't sure they could tell us how many cases there were because when employees test positive – if they test or get tested, say they live in Milwaukee or they live somewhere else, that's reported to their local health department, not to the Cudahy Health Department, even though they work in Cudahy. It would be reported to other departments. So he wasn't sure that there was a way for his own health officer to actually track this information. As it turns out, his health officer was already doing that. And based on what we've learned since then, he already knew that. He knew that the numbers had been going up, but he was telling me they had no idea. So we were prepared to actually report on the air. The city of Cudahy had no idea how many cases there were at Patrick Cudahy. Which sounds like its own problem. Right. And so that appeared to be the story. When the health officer got wind of that, she was, so I've learned since then, apparently very upset because it sounded like she wasn't doing her job. And in fact, she was. In fact, she was working very hard to do that job. And she wanted to be able to tell the public, here's what we're doing, here are the numbers, here's how we track it. And uh, and the mayor told her not to talk to the media. And so she was not able to communicate directly with me, even if she wanted to. And so that's sort of where the drama was beginning to boil. The health officer was feeling she was being muffled or stifled by the mayor. And it wasn't clear at that point just why the mayor was not allowing her to speak or not allowing these numbers to be released. So then how did all of this lead up to a physical confrontation? So the, the tensions between the mayor and the health officer actually had been simmering for quite some time. Uh, we, we now learned that last summer or at least sometime in 2019, the mayor had in fact tried to eliminate the uh, Cudahy Health Department as a cost-saving measure. He wanted to uh, outsource the health duties to South Milwaukee. 
and he uh, had a study conducted to see how that would work and, and the cost savings. But he reportedly did this without the input of the health officer or board members on the Cudahy uh, Board of Health. And so um, they obviously responded to that uh, uh, in defense of the health department and, and the plan was shot down. It never happened. And uh, so I'm told by one of the aldermen, Alderman Morales, who ends up in this scuffle with the mayor, that uh, that had led to some bad blood between the, the mayor and the health officer. Um and the mayor and aldermen had had their own sort of bad blood, just controversies over small town politics, the way money was being spent, who had the authority to order certain things and who didn't. Um, and so that had all been simmering in the background. But when this came about, now we're dealing with a major health emergency, a crisis in the city, and the city's health officer is not being allowed to communicate to the media. Uh, Alderman Morales says that the day after, or the day that we requested the information from the health officer and started this sort of behind-the-scenes firestorm at City Hall, he felt that the mayor had been disrespectful to the health officer, had in fact talked down to her. He says uh, that there has, he makes the allegation anyway, that there has been an ongoing issue with the mayor uh, demeaning female employees. And in fact, there was an investigation um that was done internally, that was discussed in closed sessions that we don't know the details of, but we know there was uh, some concern over a culture of sexual harassment or just harassment of female employees at uh, at City Hall. And we don't know the outcome of that. We don't know the details of it, but you can imagine this is all simmering in the background. And Alderman Morales felt that the mayor had sort of crossed the line here. And the morning after my request for the numbers at Patrick Cudahy, he says that the health officer called him and was extremely emotional, in tears, in fact. And they spoke for about nine minutes. After that phone call ended, and this is on April 14th, later that day, we would break our story. He went and tracked down the mayor. He went looking for him in a fit of anger. And he tracked him down at the Cudahy Fire Station, where the mayor had gone to meet to discuss something to do with Zoom meetings. And when he got to the fire station... Uh, he demanded to be let inside and, and made a statement to the effect of there's going to be a fight. Uh, when the mayor came outside, he confronted the mayor, got in his face, as he puts it, uh, to really send a message to him that he should not talk to female employees the way he did, and that if he wanted to talk to them that way, he could talk to him the same way. He then says that the mayor uh, swiped his glasses off of his head, which fell to the ground, scratched him, he provided photos, and he responded by grabbing the mayor with two hands by the collar and pushing him up against the back area of his car, a, a four-door sedan. Um, the mayor then told police later and showed a bruise on his arm and said that that action caused a bruise on his arm. Uh, you know, the, the alderman disputes that, saying, you know, the height of the car, it's impossible for the arm to have been bruised, and he had grabbed him by the collar. Regardless of all of that, this became a, a pretty physical confrontation between two elected officials, and it was witnessed by at least four firefighters, and they all told the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office, who was called in to investigate, uh, that it was Morales who was the aggressor. He does not deny that now, that he went there to seek out the mayor, he went there to get in his face and to send him a message. He denies that it was an assault, as it was originally classified, a, a battery, um, and ultimately he was not charged with a crime, he was cited for disorderly conduct, and that ticket, $484 ticket, was issued this week. What's the bigger picture we should keep in mind here? Because this isn't 
just a disorderly conduct citation. This is a an ongoing issue with transparency, with COVID-19 response that boiled over into a physical confrontation. I'm getting a lot of phone calls from people in Cudahy. Again, small town politics. There are alliances and allegiances uh, on all sides. But I'm getting a lot of off the record phone calls, people who want to share background and information. And there's, you know, it's a small community and often there are going to be power struggles. Uh, But in this particular case, there are a lot of concerns that the mayor has really mishandled this as essentially the public relations face of the city. Now, the city of Cudahy did vote uh, under the previous administration, uh, Mayor John Hohenfeldt. to have the mayor act as essentially the spokesperson for the city. So there was one singular voice. And uh, recent uh, emails that involve the uh, city's attorney, who's an outside attorney, they don't have a staff attorney, but they consult with someone who provides legal services to the city. And that city attorney advised them they really need to speak with one unified voice to avoid the potential for liability. And in a case where you are identifying the number of positive cases of COVID-19 at a major employer, and that employer has an interest in not having that information out there, uh, you better be accurate, you better be right, and you better be speaking with one voice. So the idea behind it was that the mayor would be the spokesperson, where I think the mayor got himself in, in some real heat, not only in the stories that we've broadcast on Fox 6 News, but with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and others, is that he was telling stories that seemed to contradict one another. On the one hand, he wouldn't allow his health officer to publicly release these numbers. But when he spoke to me, he said his health officer had advised him not to release the numbers. Or at another time, he said they didn't know what the numbers were. So his story kept changing. He, in fact, told a reporter for the Journal Sentinel that it was a legal advisor from the state of Wisconsin, an attorney for the state, who had told him that they could not release the records because they were State Department of Health Services records. When that reporter asked him to name the attorney who had given him that advice, he couldn't come up with a name. And I asked him that same question after the city council meeting this past Tuesday night. And he again said, well, it wasn't actually a legal person, but he knows it was someone with Department of Health Services who had told him that or had, and had advised DHS him. And DHS says they never said that. D- DHS says no one from DHS has talked to the mayor about releasing those numbers. Uh, the The governor's office has told uh, State Representative Christine Sinicki, who represents Cudahy, and a county supervisor, uh, Stephen Shea, who uh, represents uh uh, Cudahy, or who lives in Cudahy, in fact, just, you know, steps from the uh, meat processing plant, they've been told by the governor's office that no one in his administration spoke to the mayor of Cudahy and advised him that he couldn't release this information. So the real question seems to be, was the mayor being truthful about uh, some of these things and the reasons why he wasn't releasing the information? Or was he trying to protect a major employer and its relationship with the city? There's no doubt that Smithfield is one of the biggest employers in Cudahy. And if this, you know, there are uh, some elected officials who have raised the question, was he hiding information here intentionally, trying to keep the public from getting the full scope of what was going on inside this plant to try to placate that major employer? So we this all boils over into a physical confrontation. Fast forward to Tuesday night. You have Cudahy Council that still has meetings in person. So you have these people who got into this confrontation, presumably in the same room. That's got to be awkward. There was certainly tension in the room, but the whole situation was bizarre. First of all, they're meeting in person. And as we well know, there are so many uh 
government agencies that are doing virtual meetings now. They are holding their meetings over Zoom or Skype or in some way that people can tune in from home. Uh, dial in on their, not dial in, but you know, get it on their computer. Uh, we know that the governor and, and Department of Health Services uh, secretary designee have been holding their regular news conferences virtually. Reporters call in with questions. Um, in Cudahy, this was brought up on the city's Facebook page. Why don't you have virtual meetings in the middle of this pandemic? And the city responded and the mayor who tends to write these posts said, we'll, we'll look into that, but uh, for now we're meeting in person. They canceled their April, uh, their second April meeting. So this meeting on Tuesday was the first common council meeting they've had since news of the outbreak broke at Patrick Cudahy, at least since there was knowledge of more than two cases. And, uh, and we wanted to go and talk to the mayor in person because up until now, even though the mayor has said he's the one voice for the city, he's been declining my requests repeatedly for on-camera interviews. So the one voice who's supposed to speak for the city won't speak for the city. Um, so... We went there to try to speak with the mayor, and it was a, a bit of a surreal atmosphere. The gallery had chairs spaced apart as people sat in masks. Um, the the alderman you speak of, Alderman Morales, was sitting sort of at ground level, um, far more than six feet apart from the mayor, who was up in the center at the top of the dais, uh, sort of running the meeting. Um, and also in the audience was a group of people that supports the mayor. They call themselves Cudahy Citizens for Positive Change. Uh, they helped get Mayor Pavlik elected. They have continued to be supportive of him, and they've been active in Cudahy politics now for many years. One of them was holding a sign that said, uh, you know, Alderman Morales resign. Essentially, violence has no place in, in city politics. Um, they actually stopped me on my way into the meeting. They thought that Alderman Morales had called us to this meeting uh, and, and they told us, you know, don't trust him. Don't listen to anything he says. And, and you know, he, he needs to he needs to go. This kind of violence doesn't belong here. So there was certainly some tension in the room and, and some awkwardness to this whole meeting in the first place. It makes me wonder if, if they're having meetings in person and they're not having virtual meetings. And we know that there are restrictions right now in place on how many people can gather in a space at once, I mean, is a meeting like this really open to the public? Well, and that's a, that's a great question. And we, I think it would have been a bigger issue had more than 50 people shown up because they limited the capacity of the room to 50. Well, there were fewer than 50 who arrived. And one of the ways they've tried to minimize the number of people who would need to come to uh, the council meeting is by limiting the agenda severely. There wasn't much on the agenda, just a couple of items of discussion. For the most part, they're trying to set these up so they can pay the bills and and take care of essential actions and, and then hold everything else for later dates. But it does raise the question, what if more people had wanted to come? Uh, and, and in a time of a pandemic, there are many people who don't want to take that risk. If they have uh, people who have, uh, you know, compromised immune systems, if they're older, if they're concerned about their health, they don't even want to come and sit six feet apart from other people at a city council chamber. But they may so, want to see what's happening. But they may well want to follow what's going on. And so, you know, is there is it not better to stream something like this, uh, you know, over over the Internet and allow people to observe that way? They did cut out public comment altogether to try to uh, limit the number of people who would come to speak to the council. And that is not a legal requirement that they have a public comment portion of the meeting. It's advisable. Most in, in normal times, most communities and, 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 and government councils will do that. They will allow for public comment. Um, but in this case, they've, they've eliminated public comment as another way of at least making it, I guess, 
less enticing to show up at the meeting in the first place. But if you wanted to observe, there was still technically room. The question is, did people feel safe coming to observe that meeting? And, and you know, the, due to the small number of people who were there, it would look like either people weren't interested or they didn't feel it was safe. So you're at the meeting. Do you finally get that chance to talk to the mayor? I did. And, and that's again, that's why we went there is to talk to him. And I didn't know I, I've never done this before. You know, Amanda, I've had to chase people down many times who didn't want to talk to me. We many call them, times we call them unscheduled interviews. Um, and and I, I in this case, you know, do you really go chasing after someone uh, in close contact, uh, you know, in, in a in the middle of a pandemic? Everyone's wearing masks. So we had a six foot microphone pole. And I knew going in, there's a possibility I'm going to chase the mayor out of this room with a six foot microphone <laughs> pole, which would be uh, one of the most unusual uh, moments of my career. As it turns out, I approached him after the meeting and just said, do, do you have time to talk? And he said, what do you want to talk about? And so we got a chance. He stood and he, he took questions. And, uh, you know, on, on the one hand, he said the reason he hadn't allowed the uh, health officer to speak to me was that they were trying to coordinate with one voice uh, and really, you know, sort of make sure they had their I's dotted and T's crossed on the numbers before they released anything. Um, I asked him why he told me that she had advised him not to speak, and uh, and he really didn't have a good answer for that. He just said that they were working together to try to get the information out and not have it be uh, inaccurate. Um, ultimately, I, I asked him, will you let her talk to the media now? Is there any reason that your health officer shouldn't be able to speak publicly in the middle of a health crisis? And he actually said he thinks it would be a good idea for her to talk to the public about particularly how they do their job, how this works, how they track all of this down. Which is what we're seeing from other municipalities right now. You oftentimes see the health officer explaining, here's what we do and here's how we do it and here's the science behind it. And really, this is a time for health officers to shine, right? I mean, this is their moment. This is the ultimate emergency, uh, a pandemic. And and. They are doing a tremendous amount of work. Now, it may well be you have a health officer in one community who says, I need to focus on the work. Someone else do the talking. And that's understandable. But when you have a health officer who says, I want to talk, I want to share this story and is being stifled by a mayor who then says, well, I'm also not going to do interviews because, well, we don't think it's going to change what you already know. And that's actually what the mayor said to me. I said, you know, if you're the, you're the one voice, why not do interviews? And he said, well, I didn't think it would really change anything. That seems to contradict the point of being the one voice for the city, especially when you know the health officer is saying, I want to get this story out there. And for for a different story, I, I just did an interview with a professor at UW-Madison who focuses on risk communications. And her whole focus is, especially in a science scenario, communication is a part of your response to a pandemic. So it's not just, oh, communication is this extra thing and we'll get around to it when we have time. That is a part of your response because it affects how people react. And isn't this situation all about people's reactions? Well, absolutely. And I've been given a number of different answers, both on the record and off the record, by people about why maybe they would be reluctant to give out some of this information. Smithfield itself has said that they didn't want to, uh, as we've talked about with Suzanne with long-term care facilities, Smithfield says they didn't want to violate or disrespect the privacy, legal privacy, that is, of their employees, the legal privacy. Well, there's no legal privacy right to the public not knowing how many cases of COVID-19 there are at your facility. So right. we ask the question again, whose privacy is being protected? Is it the employees or is it the employer? 
And there is certainly some reason to believe that the mayor may well have been working to protect that employer and, and his relationship or the city's relationship. We know that the mayor had a meeting scheduled with the chief operating officer of Smithfield Foods uh, the same week that we broke the story. And there are emails showing that the health officer was imploring him not to have a private meeting with an executive of Smithfield without his health officer present. And he responded, I'm taking the meeting. Now, it turns out that meeting never happened because uh, very quickly things started to break within Smithfield where other plants were having to shut down. A Missouri plant was shut down. The Cudahy plant was now shutting down. And so that meeting never happened. But that was part of the discord between the mayor and the health officers. He was about to meet privately with an executive from the company where this outbreak was happening without his health officer present. And obviously uh, she was not happy with that, considering this is a health emergency. There's a lot to unpack here. I'm sure people will keep calling you and you'll keep digging into it. But what's the for now, what's the main takeaway that you think people should have if they've been following this story or if they just tuned in and saw your story about all this for the first time last night? Uh, honestly, a lot of this is sort of behind the scenes, maybe interpersonal politics, right? And maybe it doesn't have the, you know, does it matter that the alderman and the and the, and the mayor got physical? To voters in Cudahy, I'm sure that matters, and it may well come up as time goes on. The bigger picture question is, is the health of the community being protected? And I know the health officer has, has been trying to get the message out that they're doing all they can to, to track this thing. And they believe, and now the mayor also commends her for this, they believe that they have, uh, th that the actions they took here and convincing Smithfield to go along with a two-week shutdown, um, even if it was only a rolling shutdown, that it was enough to, to stem the tide of this outbreak. And whereas we've heard of other uh, Smithfield plants and other meat processing plants that had 200, 400, 500 positive cases, Patrick Cudahy's had 86 positive uh, cases. Out of a thousand employees, that's about 8% of the workforce. It's an outbreak. It's bad, but they say it could have been worse. So with regard to that, they see their response to this as a victory, that they did protect the community. Could they have stemmed the tide sooner? Could they have prevented those 86 cases from getting that large? It's hard to say, but when you look back at the beginning of all of this, we were hearing reports that that employees were being discouraged from wearing PPE or weren't being provided PPE, that workers were working shoulder to shoulder along the assembly line because the faster they move that line, the more product they get out. And and it's been uh, known throughout the meatpacking industry, meat processing industry, that the faster the line moves, you know, the better it is for the company and the company's profits. Well, in the case of a pandemic, if you can slow down the line, if you can reconfigure the workstations, you can actually get people spread apart in a safer manner. And that's what's happening now. That's what we're hearing but could that have happened sooner? Should that have happened sooner? That's certainly a big question. Uh, and going forward, I guess the real takeaway here is, are the measures that have now been implemented going to prevent any future outbreaks? The meat processing industry we know is one that is just ripe for epidemiological outbreaks because people work in such close quarters all day long. And it's not just a matter of, you know, what we hear all the time, social distancing, stay six feet apart. You're in far less danger walking one foot past a person and walking away then you are standing three feet apart from a person all day long. So it's the it's not just the space, it's the time. And in these plants, people work all day in very, very close quarters. So we'll see, I guess, as time goes on, if the measures that have been taken are enough. And I think that's the real thing to watch, both here in Cudahy and at, at processing plants like this throughout the state. 
Thanks, Brian. We know you'll stay on it, and hopefully you don't have to do an unscheduled interview chasing someone down with a six-foot pole. I I, I don't plan to, but... If the job calls for it, it'll happen. (laughs) Dedication. Speaking of dedication, we're going to continue bringing you more frequent episodes of Open Record as we cover the COVID-19 pandemic in whatever way we have to. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email. Our email address is theinvestigators at fox6now.com. That's theinvestigators at fox6now.com. Thank you to the people who made this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. And please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. I'm told my mom, by the way, just finally officially subscribed. She'd been listening all along and just officially subscribed. And now she's got a bunch of back episodes to listen to. You can do the same thing. You can find Open Record wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Polson for Amanda St. Hilaire. We'll be back again tomorrow. Tomorrow.